prayed. Genesis 1, 1 through 25. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was, with, was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the day, God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seeds, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the, first, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across, ex across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there is evening, and there is morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Elizabeth. Father, we, uh, we come into your presence this morning. We are all over the map. We're ecstatic. We're depressed, we are anxious, we are well-rested, we are afraid, we are um, all the things in the human experience. And Lord, we come and we bring it all to you and we say, you are Lord, we are not. Your steadfast love endures forever. You are the creator and you are the sustainer. And so we come to you now and we ask for you to impart your word to us in a way that's empowered by your Holy Spirit. It's not by the ingenuity of what I've crafted of, of how to preach this word. It's by the power of your Holy Spirit that you 
do your good work in us. And so we ask you, we are dependent on you to do that now. And uh, Lord, do that and, and don't leave us unchanged. In your name, Jesus, amen. Okay, so we are in this series called Origins, Genesis 1 through 12. I realized last week that you thought I was gonna take us through Genesis 1 through 12 uh, all in one week. We are gonna spend the semester going through Genesis 1 through 12. And this is the, the origin of all things, all the questions that we ask. Uh, what is good? What is evil? What is justice? Where do we get the idea for that? Suffering, um, <laughs> bodies, sexuality, um, everything. Who is God? Where does evil come from? It, it's all here in this, this first section of, of Scripture, the first 12 chapters. And so that's where we're going to be this, this semester as we're asking the Lord to help us understand um, and go back to him for, for the answers to these ultimate questions and let that inform us of how to live in this world. And so uh, today we are in Genesis 1. We are looking at the creation account, um, not all of it, but most of it. And as I was thinking about today, one, there's so much to say, and I, I want to be very concise as, as much as possible because we're coming to the table today. Uh, but also... As I thought about how to, to craft this sermon, I thought about what is it that God is, you know, this is God speaking to us. We talked last week about how this is the Holy Spirit is writing all of Scripture, and the Holy Spirit wrote Genesis through Moses as the human author. And so what is the Holy Spirit wanting to say to the people of God throughout all generations? And here in this passage, there's a lot of noise, a lot of attention around different aspects of the creation account. And so we're going to talk first about what, what does God not seem to be interested in telling us? And then what are, what are two things that he seems very interested in telling us about in this passage? And so first, what is he not really interested in telling us about? This is, this is not a scientific textbook account of the material origins of the cosmos. If it were, it would be written differently. Think about the God of the universe who is the author of all wisdom. He surely could write a better account than this if this is what he was trying to tell us. But this is not, this is not what he's interested in telling us. And uh, just so you know, within our denomination alone, there are multiple views of the creation account that one could have if they were to be ordained as a pastor in this denomination. And if you're interested in learning more, uh, you can just Google search PCA creation report. And if you've got some time, uh, it's about a hundred page document, but it walks through these different views that are all acceptable in terms of somebody being ordained as a minister of the gospel in this denomination, and they're very different. And so the idea is, is not that, again, this is not fairy tale. This is reality. And whatever, whatever scripture speaks to, it speaks to authoritatively. But what scripture is not speaking to is the exact specific scientific way in which the material cosmos was created. God is interested in our relationship with him. This primarily, this is chapter one of a love story. This is about our relationship with him. And there's wonder and mystery for us to be caught up in as we get to know our father. So imagine a, a daddy getting his children into his lap and telling them about he met their mother and how they fell in love and how they got married. It would be a little bit like if in that process, the dad just started going really deep in the weeds on how they merged their finances. Well, see, your mommy was banking with Bank of America and daddy was banking here and mommy had like $200,000 in student loan debt still. It's like, what are you even talking about? That's not what this is about. 
And that's kind of what we're talking about here with creation. This is, this is not like t teaching us about the, uh, the chemical reactions and the, the different um, elements that were at play here and when and how and what happened. Um, this is the God of the universe who has created everything that is, all time, all space, all matter. As he says to Moses when he is introducing himself to Moses for the first time in the book of Exodus, Moses says, who will I say is the one who sent me to your people? And he, he identifies himself as I am who I am. Like there's, there's an element of which you cannot fully know me. I am making myself known in ways that are good for you in order for us to have a relationship together. But there are ways in which you will never be able to comprehend me because I am too far above you. There are limits to my knowing because of my limited capacity to comprehend and because God has decided that there are things that need to remain a mystery for my good. And that's good. And so I want to just stop here and think if, if that bothers us, if that really rubs against us, that I don't want to live within those limits and I want to know the answers to things that he doesn't seem interested in telling me, then it would be a good practice to stop and ask why. What is going on in here? What do I believe about him? What do I believe about myself? Jesus says in Matthew 18, 3, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus is saying there is not just put your head down and do what you're told. But what he's saying is it's good to explore. It's good. Science is good. Science is a discipline that God created for us to explore the, the world and our own bodies and, and to learn and grow. But what he is saying there is what is essential is the trust that a, a child, a small child has with their parent. And without that trust, without that faith, without me looking to you as the arbiter of truth, God, and not myself or my thoughts or my understanding or my emotions, that is essential. And so it's not that asking questions or searching or pondering is bad. It's not bad. It's how we do those things. And it's for what purpose we do those things. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to the people of God forever. There are things that the Lord is holding and there are things that he is giving. And the things that he is giving us are beautiful. And so now that's gonna get us into, what is it that he is trying to say to us in this account? What does he want us to know? What is this here for? And two, two things I wanna highlight. First is, his power. This creation account is what's called a polemic. A polemic is a, a type of writing that is speaking against something. And this is a polemic against any other gods. Uh, the, the first audience of Genesis 1 is this, the people of God that had been brought out of slavery of Egypt. They were in generational slavery in Egypt. And Egypt was a place of polytheism, of many gods, and there were gods for all sorts of things. And so just think about living amongst those people and absorbing those practices to some extent, and just having questions in your head of, you know, well, we, we have a God that my ancestors have worshiped and that we brought into Egypt, but what about these other gods? And maybe do we need to sort of mesh them all together? And maybe do we worship him the most, but we also worship these other gods too? And just all the confusion. And so right out of the gate, God is needing to tell his people, this, there is only one God. This is a polemic against all Egyptian gods and against all false gods. 
They were not gods competing for dominance. That was sort of the story of a lot of ancient Near Eastern cultures is there were many gods and even in the beginning there was just chaos. There was forever like this ooze, uh, like primordial ooze and chaos and there were multiple gods like in that chaos and they were fighting for dominance. But we have in this account, there, there was only God and he created everything. He created all the material of the universe. There were not little gods within these materials. It was just inanimate material. He willed it. He spoke into creation and with his voice, with his word, there was power. Uh, the sun god Ra was a huge deity for the Egyptians. And, and that's why we have in uh, verse three, we have light before there is even a sun because God wants his people to know the sun is not necessary for light and warmth. This is, God is the only one who is necessary. I give light, I give warmth, I give light. And I can decide to do that through whatever means necessary and I will create a sun and that sun will give off heat and will give off light and will make life on this earth possible. But, it, but please do not confuse, this is not a thing to be worshiped. This is just an inanimate object that is because I willed it to be. And if you're wondering, does God not know how these things work? Like, you have to have the sun to have light. Uh, Revelation 21, 23 says this, talking about the new heavens and the new earth. When Jesus returns and God is with his people for all time, describing the city, it says, the city has no need of sun to shine on it, for the glory of God gives light. It is the glory of God, it is his presence, it is the way that he brought this material cosmos into existence and then allowed himself to be seen and felt and known in it. That is the light that gives life to all that he's created. That's why Moses wrote, as he writes this account, he describes the sun and the moon as the greater light and the lesser light. He didn't even wanna use the terms that the Egyptians used for the sun and the moon because he did not want there to be any confusion. We're not talking about smaller deities. There is one God, there's only one God and everything else is what he has created. He also mentions, uh, highlights the great sea creatures when he talks about on, on day five, uh, the way that the, the birds were created and the, the creatures in the sea. And it says in verse 21, so God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves in the sea. The reason he highlights the great sea creatures is because there were all these like sea dragon and crocodile uh, gods and goddesses. And he's saying, look, even these things, which other people worship, these are not gods, these are animals. And I created all these because I hold all power over all things. There's only one God. And so right here in chapter one of scripture, we have this polemic against many things, <laughs> against polytheism. There are not many gods, there is one God. It's against pantheism. God is not in, in all things. God has created all things. He is separate from his creation. He's with his creation, but he is not the same as his creation. It's a polemic against naturalism. This, this did not just appear out of nowhere. There is a, a God who is a God of order and a God of wisdom and a God of power who created all things. But this is also a polemic against legalism. God does not need us to do anything for him. Listen to this account. Listen to the God of the universe who spoke everything into existence. There were so many um, false religions in the ancient Near Eastern world where the, the accounts of creation talked about how people were created basically to be servants, to prepare foods for gods and things like that. 
And here we see in this account, there's no need for anything like that. So, so if God is going to create people, it's for an entirely different reason. And we need to hear this polemic too. This was not just for the people who were coming out of slavery in Egypt. It, it makes me think about the uh, Neil Gaiman story, American Gods. Like, there are all sorts of false gods that we sort of synchronistically try to worship along with our God. And we need to hear this, that it's, it's not the sun god, but it's also not the god of safety. It's not the god of comfort. It's not the god of sex. It's not the god of knowledge or the god of status or the god of wealth. It's not that we serve this god that we come here and worship on Sunday mornings and then serve these other gods during the week so that we can round it all out and have everything that we need. No, no, there is one God, and he is good, and he created us, and he sustains us, and he will give us everything we need. And he needs to start here telling us about his power so that we will listen, so that we know it's safe to listen, it's wise to listen. And now it's like we're coming in closer, and he's telling us about what he's really excited to tell us about. And that's his delight his joy, and his love in creating. You know, right here from the jump, we have the Trinity, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. We have the Father God who creates. We have the Son who is the Word of God. Hebrews 1-2 says the Son, it was through the Son that the Father created the world. So through his Word, through the Son, uh, all was created. And then we have the Holy Spirit who is hovering over the waters. And why this is so important is because art comes from the artist. The artist precedes the art. And so what we have in the Trinity is before creation, before any of us were created, before any other being, any other part of creation was made, we have a triune God who within himself has perfect relationship, perfect love, perfect community, perfect joy, perfect wholeness. You know, if there was one God, one person, uh, love would not be possible. But, but that's not the God that we worship. That is not the one true living God. The one true living God is triune. He has community within himself. And so this God, who is love, who is community, who is fullness, who is delight, this is the God who created the world. And we are to expect to see those things in his creation because that's the art that's coming from this artist. And he is the only non-derivative artist that's ever been. And I think something that will help us as we walk through this, this last part of uh, seeing his delight is, what is the voice that we give these words? Like when I read this account, is this like a serious, austere voice? God said, let there be light. There was light. God saw that the light was good. Like, what, what personality am I reading into God when I read this account? Or when I read this account, is that voice full of joy and wonder? That God created all of these things and he said, this is good. This is amazing. Look at this. Like, is there not a childlike wonder in the creator who took such delight in creating these things? Is God not this, this old, serious man who, who is angry? Or this God who is eternally young, who is full of life and full of joy and full of energy and full of creativity? You know, verse 2, as we start into this account, it's like a master chef 
who has created and is now gathering all of his ingredients to make this masterpiece. It's like a master sculptor who is creating the clay and you have this just blob of clay that he throws down on the wheel and he's about to make something beautiful and amazing. We have this picture, this beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit. That, that word hovering is used in scripture elsewhere to talk about a, a mother eagle hovering over the nest. It's this picture of the Holy Spirit just lovingly being fully present over all that is being made, overseeing the whole process in love. Verse 3 begins the pattern that follows throughout this whole chapter. God said, let there be this, let there be light, and then there was this, then there was light. And, and really the, the words in Hebrew that are used there, it's just two words. It's like, be light, like go be, like be in existence, and then these things existed. And can you imagine the first day? Can you imagine just being here and witnessing all of this? Imagine the first sunrise. Imagine watching that happen in the presence of God, who is delighting in this the whole time. I mean, this week, uh, I hung four frames, and I, I like, had to hang them to where they were... <laughs> exactly like the same distance apart, top and bottom, and it was really difficult for me. And so when I got done with it, I was full of delight. Like I was so proud of what I'd done, and I would just walk by and look at it. I'm like, that's hanging four frames. Imagine creating this intricate cosmos. I mean, do, do we not think that this God is so excited and, and full of joy and even full of wonder with what he's created? Like this is amazing. This is amazing. And I, and I want to just stop here, too, and see in this pattern, whatever he makes, it says, like, and God created light, and he saw that it was good. The question is, good for what? It's not like he was following a, an instruction manual on how to make universes. Like, okay, and when you make an earth, you're going to want to have a little bit of land and a little bit of water, because it's good to have both. This is all originating from him for a purpose. He saw all these pieces of creation and saw that they were good for us. It's like a, a ex expecting parents, expecting their first child, getting the nursery ready. It's the joy. It's as we're adding each element, the crib and the stuff on the walls and all the things that you buy because people terrify you and think your child's going to be messed up if you don't buy these things. As we get all of those things together, there's a joy in us imagining the child being in the room and imagining what it's going to be like. And you better believe that that is the kind of thing that was going on in the heart of our Father as he created this cosmos. And we see order. You see even the way it's laid out here. You see on, on the first three days there are these spaces, and in the next three days there are these ways that those spaces are filled. You have day and night, and you have sun, moon, and stars. And on day two, you have the sky and the seas. And then uh, day five, you have the birds and the, the sea creatures that fill the seas. On day three, you have the earth. And on day six, you have all the creatures that fill the earth. It's this idea that there's not anything random, that God is so wise and so purposeful in his design that he has order to everything. He's bringing order out of chaos. And you see, too, in, in this love 
story way that he's writing this account. That it's a, it's a really a man-centric, it's a human-centric telling of this, like to his little children. It's not that God was mistaken or doesn't understand how the natural world functions. I mean, we have these pieces in, in here, like the expanse in the sky separating the waters above and the waters below. I mean, he's talking about this from a, a human perspective. It's, that, it's not that we thought that there was a giant tub of water above us that the sky is holding up, and if we poke a hole in it, it's going to leak all over us. It's, that, it's the way the atmosphere is, so that the water that's in the oceans and lakes doesn't keep coming up, and we're not having to live in water, or that the rain and the clouds that are falling on us and the clouds that we see above don't hover one foot off the ground so we're not constantly walking through clouds. That's what we're talking about. When we talk about the greater light and the lesser light, God is not confused that the moon doesn't actually give off its own light. He knows that. He created it. But it's from our perspective that the moon is there to, to create a lesser light that shines on us in the night. Verses 20, and 20 through 22, when we, ha we have the birds and the, the sea creatures, just, man, imagining the look on God's face, if we could see it, when he's commanding, like, swarm in the ocean. Like, all the, think about the myriad of sea creatures that exist. Think about all the different species of animals that fill the sea. Think about all the different species of birds that fill the air and the variety. I mean, he did not have to do this. This is not a utilitarian universe where we have one of everything. We have one swimming thing. We have one flying thing. No, no, no. We have all sorts of things. And if you ever watch something like Planet Earth, you realize, you're like, we don't even need that. Like, that's a weird bird. Like, why does that bird exist? I don't know. Because God thought it would be funny or cool or beautiful. But we have, we have birds and sea creatures and animals of all different colors and textures and sizes. It's just this, the heart of an artist he is creating all of this variety because he wants to, but he's also creating all of this variety because he wants us to be delighted in it. It's like the fun, like we took our kids to Universal Studios uh, this, this year and we went into the Harry Potter world. And just, you know, you can get the wand and you can cast the spells and do all the stuff. And I just think about, the fun that the designers had who created the Harry Potter world at Universal Studios, or the fun that the designers of like an immersive video game experience like Zelda or any of that, like think about all the hidden Easter eggs they put in those things and think about all the joy that they have in their hearts as they're creating those things. Like I cannot wait for some kid to discover this. Like that is how our world was made. Think about all the sea creatures that are in the bottom of the ocean that we are just now discovering. And think about the ones that we may never discover, that it may be only there for God's enjoyment. Think about all, just all the, the intricate details of this world that we find ourselves living in. This is our God who is encouraging us in the way that he's made this world to go explore it, to go study it, to go learn about it, to go experience the joy of discovery and to find him in that discovery and to have a moment with him of like, wow, you're amazing, this is amazing, and you love us so much. So what does the artist do when he creates his creatures? What is the first thing he says to them? Well, he says, he says go, do the thing you were made to do. And then it says, and then he blesses them. 
Every creature that he made, he blesses. That is the heart of this loving, joyful, creative God, is go live, go have life, go flourish, and go enjoy being enjoyed by me. But now, that's Genesis 1. Now we live in a different time where this is not all that we experience in this world. As we go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, and we hear about the barrenness and the chaos and the darkness that was before God brought order to all of it, we experience that here too. And we experience that here because of our rebellion, our divergence from the ways of this creator who's made us and given us a way to live. We've gone a different direction. And so the artist delighting, the creator artist delighting God, um, he has brought life and flourishing and we have brought deconstruction to his creation and to ourselves. So now it's wonderful to hear about this creator God in the time of Genesis one. But now there's a really pressing question that we all need answered. What is this creator gonna do when the creation that's brought him so much delight has defamed and destroyed and marred itself? The powerful word that creates, that brings life into existence will also recreate. If you notice John's gospel, John chapter one, John is intentionally drawing from the language of Genesis 1 because the story of Jesus coming into our world is the story of recreation. Listen to this. This is in, in John 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. All things were made through Him. In Him was life and, and the life was the light of man and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And this light came into the world, the word of God, the son of God, the light of the world came into the world, and things were so backwards, so deconstructed, that his own creation did not receive him. But all those who did, he gave the right to become children of God. He is at work in our world recreating giving new life, sustaining all of the people of God and all of creation. It's his goodness, it's his grace, it's his kindness that this world doesn't just implode on itself. He is sustaining, he is upholding, even, even with the darkness, even with the decay. It is his grace that's keeping things afloat at all. And it's his power, it's his creative and recreative power that's at work in our lives as he makes us new, as he recreates us. When he came into this world, um, he was deconstructed. He was physically torn apart. He was spiritually, emotionally torn apart. He was separated from his father and he was glad to do it because of the love that he has for his creation, his people. And so that's, that's how we are reconstructed in his deconstruction. Uh, as he hangs on the cross, taking all of our sin into himself. That sin is judged, it is dealt with, and we are now free. 
And now we have the Holy Spirit who is this creative force, the beginning of all things is now this recreative force within the people of God. And he is making us new. He has made us new. He is making us new. He will make us new. And so today we get to celebrate this. We get to experience this in a tangible way as we come to the table. Um, Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he was eating the Passover meal with his disciples and he took the bread and that's what he was telling them. He broke it and he said, this is my body, which is deconstructed for you so that you can have life. Do this, eat this in remembrance of me. And then after the meal, he poured the wine into a cup and said, this wine is my blood that's poured out for you, that's shed for the forgiveness of sins. So now, instead of drinking the cup of God's wrath, it's this picture we had in the Old Testament of all of God's enemies are gonna drink the cup of his wrath down to the very bottom. Jesus is saying, that's not you anymore. When you drink this cup, you know that I've taken the cup of God's wrath and the cup you're drinking is the cup of the wedding feast. It's a foretaste of the celebration of God and man together in perfection again. And so this, this meal that we celebrate, um, it is a mystery. It is like Genesis 1. It is like creation. It is a mystery. There is a way that God is in this meal, that he commands us to take this meal as his people on a regular basis because it's good for us. There's a way in which he meets us in the, the physical, the, the tangible, the, the tasting, um, all of our senses uh, that is precious and is life to us and is nourishment to us. And so as we take this meal, uh, we're going to do something different today. We're going to do um, what we usually do, which is uh, come to the kneelers. And I would ask you to, to go four to a kneeler just so that we can spend as much time up here as you want. But we'd love to have four people on a kneeler at one time uh, so that people can get in there. We're also going to come to this table. So we're going to make the line as usual, but uh, we're going to come up and, and maybe groups of like six or eight people can come up here together. It doesn't have to be people you know, just people whoever you're in line with, um, and we'll serve you up here as well. But come up um, and, and spend as much time as, as you want, and uh, just raise a hand if you want prayer. Put your hands out when you're ready to receive the elements. If you need gluten-free, we have that, so just let us know. Um, and come and taste and see that the Lord is good.